Welcome to the Just Being Honest podcast show. This is your host, your toxic-free lifestyle advisor and mindset coach, KB. On the Just Being Honest podcast show, we are dedicated to educate the public about how to live a purely toxic-free lifestyle. By eliminating and dramatically reducing the use of many products and lifestyle threats that contain these harmful ingredients that often bombard our life in a mysterious manner, we too can all as a collective whole become healthier and mentally wealthier. So join me on the ride. We're getting deep. I feel like no matter what the season is, there's always a virus, a cold, a flu, a sniffle, maybe some sinus congestion floating about. So I've really done the research to find out what products, what remedies are going to work not only the best for me, going to help the environment, um, but then also are really help for my whole microbiome as a whole. So I have found it. I am currently using and loving Wish Garden Herbs. So if you're looking for ancient remedies for the modern world, well, here you have it. This is a woman-owned and family-run company since 1979. Just a little bit about the company. Wish Garden Herbs is the fastest fastest growing liquid herbal extract brand in the U.S. They specialize in formulating radically effective herbal tinctures made from organic, sustainably sourced plants. Oh yeah, baby. So Wish Garden is from Boulder, Colorado, and you know I love a Midwestern brand. It is a facility that they personally make each herbal formula's the old-fashioned way by extracting whole herbs with water and alcohol. So Wish Garden offers over 100 all-natural herbal formulas across from, you know, adults, kids, pregnancy needs, all the things. So you know you will be in good hands. And among their best-selling proprietary blends are the Kick-Ass Immune Activator, the Kick-Ass Allergy, the After Ease, the Happy Ducks, the Serious Cough, the Deep Stress, and the Deep Lung, which baby you better believe during quarantine and COVID time, I utilized the Deep Lung just as a preventative medicine. So their symptom soothing formulas offer in-the-moment results targeting such conditions such as immunity, allergy, sleep, stress, brain, respiratory, digestion, lactation, postpartum needs, and so much more. Wish Garden is the 15th best-selling supplement brand overall according to Spins, which is a reporting service covering natural products and the retailers like Whole Foods, Sprouts, Natural Grocers, Earth Fair, Fresh Time, and so many others. So, Their allergy and immune products are ranked sixth, but I know that they will be number one in your medicine cabinets. So pick up some Wish Garden Herbs today. Head on over to wishgardenherbs.com. Use my exclusive code HONESTKB to get 20% off orders of $25 or more. Guys, 
that offer is not out anywhere else. So you want to go type in Honest KB to get 20% off orders of $25 or more. So set up your medicine cabinet for good and trust me, your immunities will thank you. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Just Be An Honest podcast show. This is your host, your toxic-free lifestyle advisor and your mindset coach, KB. How y'all doing today? Um, It's pretty good in my world. I am just gearing up for the next moon phase. Lots going on. I know everyone else is in the height of summer. You're probably running around against the world. Um, Yeah, so... That You know what? That actually is a really great segue into our guest today because you're probably not breathing and you're probably thinking, oh my gosh, am I okay? And you guys know that especially with my you know, personal journey and what I share as an advocate for a lot of y'all out there, including myself, is the mental health aspect of our world. You know, we go, 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 yet we don't tend to stop and sit and breathe and really like absorb everything that we perhaps have accomplished, succeeded in, or just being in the here and the now. So great segue to my guest today. I'm so so excited to have her on the show. You know I'm a huge advocate for therapy. I do it every single week. I also have therapeutic, um, just kind of like tools in my toolbox um, for other, you know, mechanisms that I do use. I've talked about them. But I am so lucky today to have a licensed marriage family therapist on the show. Katie LaRue is here, and she's going to be diving into something that we probably, well, y'all have probably heard of before, which is EMDR, and you're probably thinking, what is that, right? Um, And then also questions that have come up a lot in my life is the subject of microdosing, right? So we're going to be diving in deep about that. And we're just going to have Katie kind of share her expertise about um, therapy and kind of what she's working on right now because she is very well known and she's becoming a little bit bigger. She's been very busy. So without further ado, Katie, welcome to the Just Being Honest podcast show. Thank you, KB. So good to be here. And I love your podcast. Um, It feels like a true honor to be a guest on this podcast. And hello, everyone. Katie here. I'm so jazzed to be talking about some um, effective modalities to help people move their trauma memories through their brain to help them heal. And then talk about some microdosing and how we pair that with EMDR and some somatic uh, breath work healing treatments as well and anything else you want to talk about today. So thank you so much. And I just kind of want to like preempt this so we may have to have a part two because I like to keep the podcast short and sweet. So um, as we kind of go along this journey, you guys just like take a seat, take a deep breath. And if any sort of sensation or memory does come up for you, I do recommend either pausing the podcast, taking a deep breath for yourself, or continuing on at a, a later time. Um, so here we go. Let's go. Um, I do have some questions because I've done 
brief work on it, but I want to dive in deeper. I obviously, like many other people, have had traumatic experiences in my life. And you know, there's that word, the big T, the little T trauma. But you personally specialize in EMDR. So my question is, Katie, what is EMDR for those of you that don't know it? And how is it used? So EMDR is eye movement desensitization reprocessing. Um, American psychologist Francine Shapiro brought this particular uh, treatment modality into the therapeutic setting to help her clients move through the big T's. And what she learned is that it actually was just as effective for the little T's as well. And so what she was discovering is that uh, through traditional talk therapy, a person was coming to a plateau and they were not able to decrease those physiological symptoms that that person was experiencing within their body when they were feeling triggered in a situation that mimicked or mirrored um, something similar to the traumatic experience that they went through in the past. So when she was working with these clients and they kept expressing their uh, bodily discomfort. They kept saying, you know, my heart rate would increase, my palms became sweaty, my mind would race, I would uh, experience dry mouth, so on and so forth. Uh, you name it, the, the discomfort was um, becoming intolerable for these folks who, uh, well, these clients rather, who were um, her, you know, her, her kind of main focus because she was feeling like they weren't getting better with the traditional talk therapy. And so she was kind of perplexed by, you know, how to help them and um, what would be most effective with what she was learning. And she was on this walk one day and she was feeling a little distressed in her own body. So she was taking note and she was noticing that, um, you know, she was feeling those anxious symptoms that was causing her own discomfort. And as she was on this walk, her eyes were moving in a bilateral stimulating manner. And so she was just kind of, you know, darting her eyes to the right and then to the left. And this was just the natural process that was unfolding for her as she was thinking about um, her own distressful memories. And what she learned is at the end of the walk, her nervous system completely shifted and it went into its parasympathetic. And mm. so it rather than escalating in her nervous system and kind of reaching a point of fight or flight because her nervous system was on overdrive, through this movement of her eyes from left to right, she was able to drop in and feel much calmer and more at ease in her body. And so she's like, oh, maybe I have something here. I want to develop on this idea. And so she did, and she brought in uh, EMDR to the therapeutic setting to see if it th this indeed did help her clients who were still experiencing that bodily you know, discomfort, if this could be the ticket to help them get back into their body and feel more in control. Because when you're in a state of fight or flight, you you in a sense are in your um in your primitive part of your brain and the amygdala is alarmed and so that's telling your brain that there's danger ahead 
and cortisol and adrenaline and norepinephrine is released and a person no longer is able to access their prefrontal cortex, which is, you know, allowing a person to, um, it's their executive functioning part of the brain. And so they're no longer able to reason or problem solve. Um, it's extremely hard for them to regulate their emotions because that part of the brain has turned off. So, um, so she develops this and she starts to see that, okay, when a person's in a state of fight or flight, they're no longer going to be able to um, really, you know, make sense to what is happening to them. So she develops just doing this bilateral stimulation simply through her, her fingers. And so back in the day, she had clients sit in front of her um, and trust is developed and a whole assessment is taken place gathering the important information of what they're going to target. And between the therapist and the client, they agree on the, the target memory that they're going to reprocess and then desensitize um, through a bilateral stimulation. And so she has the client follow her fingers. Now it's turned into um, following a light bar, but some therapists, um, I, I do sometimes still use my fingers. It's just as effective. Um, and some people actually care or, or rather they would prefer to use tappers. And so that would be um, a tactile vibration in a person's hand. So that would be producing that bilateral stimulation just through a tactile um, manner. And so she would, she would do this with her clients. They would target a memory. She would walk them through the, the trauma memory. She would ask them how it feels in their body. What's the negative um, limiting belief that's now associated with that memory? And um, what discomfort they're experiencing in their body. And if they can name it, that'd be great. You know, identifying the somatic experience. And then they rate, we rate the distress we say on a scale of zero to 10, how uh, distressing does this feel? And, um, you know, the, the idea is to get the distress all the way down to a three, two, one, or zero. Mm. Um, and typically a person's distress level is, is usually over five. It doesn't have to be. Uh, when we first start, we like to say, let's pick something that's actually five and under just to get a person's foot, feet wet and for them to understand what it feels like to do the bilateral stimulation. But um, as you're moving the fingers and the person's following the bilateral stimulation, they're, they're just noticing what they're experiencing and new memories will emerge. And so it's creating space and access for the client to access these suppressed memories, right? These, these memories that have been blocked out for so long. And there's a whole, and I won't really go into it, just, just to make sure that we're um, not kind of going on a tangent, but there's this um, neurobiology of trauma uh, to why the memories become uh, inaccessible and suppressed. And maybe we develop on that um, in part two, if we, mm -hmm. if we go in that direction. But um the client now for the first time is able to access these suppressed blocked memories and they're able to now because they're in a safe environment with the facilitator in this contained space 
um, that is very comfortable for the client, they're able to access that forebrain, the prefrontal cortex, and that executive functioning that allows them to make sense of, oh, okay, this is what happened, this is why it happened, or this is um, not my fault. Uh, you're able to place responsibility where it, where it belongs. Um, a lot of trauma survivors take responsibility for their perpetrator's actions because there was never any action taken. And so something or someone has to take responsibility for the event. And usually that lands on the victim or survivor of the traumatic event. Um, so that's kind of in a nutshell. I mean, it's very, it's very structured. There's eight phases to the treatment and, um, you really don't deviate from the format of what a EMDR session would look like because it is evidence-based. And so there, it, there's research and data that um, proves that if you follow the structure, you're going to get uh, high outcome measures and they're, they're very positive. Um, we're seeing, you know, a high percentage of clients who felt stuck in their life um, in their trauma responses, be able to take action steps moving forward and completely change the outcome of where they thought their life could go. Oh my gosh. So can I just like reiterate this? I mean, that's, that's beautiful. And a lot of things kind of came up to me and like, oh my gosh, yeah, you know, you're creating a safe environment and then you bu you're building trust, you know, with someone that's actually there to help you and you know, save you from that traumatic event. But, you know, it's basically what you're saying is like when the system is blocked, you know, th there's a, an imbalance created, you know, which we can go into from that trauma and, and it's from a disturbing event, you know, and there's like that emotional wound, you know, that's kind of like boiling, constantly boiling and building upon that. And, and then it creates that suffering throughout the life. And then what EMDR is, it's, it's removing that blockage, right? That blockage so everything can start flowing again and the healing can flow, right? And your life can finally resume. I love that. Beautiful, beautiful description. Um, so kind of moving on to that, you know, like trauma, like trauma, right? Everyone has trauma in different ways, right? But I want to, because I'm very interested, I've been reading a lot of books on this, you know, the impacts on the human body, you know, if we stuff it down, if we don't uncover it, if we don't deal with it, you know, like what does it mean to do, um, like what does it really mean to do the wounded or the inner child work? How would you define that? The wounded inner child work is so important because what happens to a child who experiences um, an adverse experience, there's um, a lot of data out right now um, on the ACEs study, and that stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. And um, there's there's different categories. It's it's like a, I believe it's like one through seventeen, and there's different categories that a person would check off depending on what they experienced in their youth, during their youth. And, you know, for example, some of them are, did you grow up in a household where you witnessed domestic violence? Did you grow up in a household where one of your caregivers was incarcerated? Did you grow up in a household where your parents were divorced? Did you grow up in a household 
where um, one of your siblings ha was experiencing mental illness um, and perhaps untreated. And so there's all these different um, kind of factors that go into play as you're developing in your, um, in your childhood. And depending on what you were exposed to and how much you experienced, your nervous system is going to be impacted negatively. And then your brain was definitely formed and shaped differently based off of how many times your amygdala lit up to sound that alarm to tell you that there was a potential threat that um, you needed to protect yourself from. And so uh, a child starts to feel anxious. Uh, they, they don't get the opportunity to learn what self-regulation is if they're not in a safe environment, if they don't have caregivers that um, co-regulate with them, that sit down with them and talk about what they're experiencing in their mind and body. Um, if parents don't have strong self-regulation skills themselves, um, so the modeling is poor because the parents never learned it. It's not because the parents wanted to cause harm or you know were, were doing something on purpose. They just did not know. Um, they were never taught. So their emotions are quite heightened and that's constantly being exposed. And so what ends up happening is the child's needs get overlooked. A child goes with not knowing that their needs are important because they weren't met. And so a child doesn't have the ability cognitively to articulate this. And so they start to think that when they are feeling any distress in their body, they're just supposed to, you know, figure it out. Um, this is where behavioral change happens. Mm -hmm. This is where behavioral defiance comes in. Um, a, a child then starts to, you know, if you will, act out and um, demonstrate that need for attention, nurture, um, attunement. And again, if, if a parent is <clears throat> a single parent because their partner has been incarcerated and they um, have three to four children, it's really hard if they're working to know how to come home and figure out, you know, who needs the attunement, who needs co-regulation, who needs to have the conversation about what happened at school that, you know, caused the child to feel um, overlooked or overshadowed. And so, you know, I, I like to give to some degree, you know, parents some slack because I don't think a parent wakes up and says, I'm going to, you know, neglect my child today. Um, I think I would like to hope that parents are doing the best they can with what they know. Um, now, there is a small percentage of parents that don't have their children's best interest in mind, and we're not even going to go in that direction. But a child then navigates through their life and um, doesn't even realize that it has anything to do with their nervous system. They just think anxiety is a part of their life. Mm. They just think that um, feeling detached, feeling um, 
like they can't focus or concentrate in um, school or when a person is trying to have a conversation, that that becomes kind of their their norm, right? And so it's so unfortunate, but they become comfortable with the discomfort until everything rears its head and comes to um, a, a point of impaired functioning. And, and that's where we would move in the direction of, you know, connecting that person with a therapist and getting them to, um, you know, have an assessment to see if there is criteria for a diagnosis. I'm not, you know, keen on diagnosing people. I do it in my profession, but, um, you know, if a person's anxious, they're anxious. They don't need to have a diagnosis to, you know, be treated for anxiety. But what I do is I highlight what the child, you know, as an adult now coming to me as a client, I highlight to that adult sitting before me what they didn't get as a child and what got missed. Mm. And we really take some time to look at, you know, how many years they were not nurtured. Mm -hmm. And we go then and we use that as really valuable information to help that adult do the things that they didn't get in their childhood, in their upbringing. So, you know, it it may sound a little weird to the listener. It may sound um, very interesting. I don't know how it will land, but uh, I have stuffed animals in my uh, private practice. I have children's books. Um, I only see two, two, uh, young adults under the age of 18. I, I have an adult practice. Um, all of that material is to do inner child work. Mm. And um, we sit with, you know, the stuffed animals and we talk about how comforting it feels to have the stuffed animals. And we have the client hold the stuffed animals while they cry and grieve for their inner child who didn't get their needs met. Because a lot of adults now find it to be a struggle to not speak up and say, this is what I need. This is how I want to be respected. This is how I want to be treated because they didn't learn some of those um, skills and tools when they were younger. So um, I hope that answered your question. Um, It's really about regulating the nervous system and then reshaping, reformating, reformatting the, the neurons so that they know that they can fire from a place of self-worth and a place of deserving because what was laid as groundwork growing up was your needs don't matter and it it's better to be a people pleaser in order to get attention and positive reinforcement and so your second whatever's in front of you is first and so we're really wanting to kind of restructure that network um for the for the adults mind who didn't you know lay that groundwork when they were younger I mean I love that I think yes that was a perfect answer and um yeah the your needs didn't matter you know (laughs) aka be a robot figure it out you know and then you don't understand what certain emotions it are or sensations or how to feel in your body or what things mean and then you over medicate perhaps because you're like, so-and-so told me I had this. And this was told my whole life that I had this, this, and this, you know? So it's really like going back to that root feeling, that root cause, you know? 
Beautiful, beautiful. So, so with that, and we talked about EMDR and the trauma aspect and, you know, going back to the children. Um, well, actually, no, you kind of answered it when, when I say, you know, the youth and the mental health trends that are going on, especially with COVID and, you know, now like that swarm of higher divorce rates going on during COVID, we saw that. And, you know, you basically just kind of shared, you know, how parents now can be better listeners and better guardians for these youths because they kind of have to go to their root physical inner child as well and say like, well, how was it? How, how was I, you know, not listened to, right? And what would I want to do differently? So I, I think we answered that question right there. But I do, while we still have time, I do kind of want to jump back to the EMDR because we're coming full circle with this. And you know, the micro dosing aspect and how you're pairing that because, you know, we live in a place where people are like, oh my gosh, I want to, I want to do this plant journey and I want to do that plant journey. And, and then they're starting to say, I can do it myself and I can go to a drug dealer on the street and just kind of pick something up. Right. And, and things are getting so inundated, especially with like the CBD or the, the cannabis industry. And, you know, things are becoming like dirty, dirty products, you know? So tell us a little bit about microdosing. What is it and why are you incorporating it into your healing practices? Um, so microdosing um, is taking for this particular psychedelic compound, which is psilocybin is what I'm going to be uh, covering today. It would be taking 0.1 up to 0.3 grams, depending on your body size and experience of psilocybin mushrooms. And that's what um, is known as magic mushrooms. Um, so that would, if taken in a higher dose, it would be eliciting a mind altering experience. Now a microdose is going to evoke a very sub perceptual effect, meaning you're not supposed to be able to feel it um you if done it, if a person does a microdosing protocol and follows it for 30 plus days let's say and really sticks to what is on this protocol in respect to how it guides you to get the most and to get the most out of the experience and to get um the most benefits from the medicine that you're working with, a person would then be able to speak from a place of understanding how the med medicine did impact and improve their life. If a person's not following a protocol and just kind of haphazardly taking it here and there, um, not really following the guidance of, you know, what the protocol structure is offering and, um, just kind of, you know, wants to see what it's like one week on and, you know, one week here, one week there, they're not going to have uh, the opportunity to really benefit from what the medicines work could do for a person. So it's um, really important, and I can't emphasize enough to follow some type of structured protocol and then to work with a therapist or integrator while doing some type of microdosing 
um, journey. Now, um, why do people microdose? Well, there's a whole slew of reasons, but it really um, increases a person's introspection. It helps a person focus. It improves their mood. So it decreases social anxiety. It decreases depression. Um, it improves attitudes. It improves people's ability to engage with others and connect with others, feel seen, heard, understood. Um, it allows a person to see their future um, in a much more hopeful capacity. And so it's, it's allowing a person to access alternative perspectives, which normally were not um, a part of that, you know, person's wheelhouse of thought process. So it's important to note that um, psychedelics, and this isn't just specific to psilocybin, this is uh, LSD, mescaline, ayahuasca, um, psilocybin, they significantly reduce the activity in the brain's default mode network. And this reduction in the default mode network activity, it functions as a kind of rebooting of the brain and is thought to be um, linked to one of the most enduring therapeutic effects of psychedelic substances. And so this is, this is the, the draw. This is what the scientists and the clinicians and um, this is the research they're doing. They're, they're like, how is it impacting the brain? Why, you know, why is this such an effective treatment for um, PTSD, for depression, for anxiety? Now, the default mode network refers to an interconnected group of brain regions that are associated with introspective functions, internally directed thought, such as self-reflection, self-criticism. Mm. This is where a person is letting their mind wander and, um, you know, letting just your mind think about the future or, and or the past, right? And the default mode network is, is turned on when your brain doesn't have a focused task or stimuli to put your energy and brain activity towards. And so you got to think every time you drive, um, every time you're doing the mundane tasks, your, your brain's default mode network is, is doop, turned on. And typically, depending on the person's experiences that were, you know, prior to what, you know, they're doing uh, that precluded this, their brain is thinking about all of the different possibilities that could go wrong for their future. Hmm. Or they're thinking about all the things that went wrong in their past. And so you kind of get stuck in this, um, you know, future tripping, which usually elicits anxiety or future guilt tripping about the past. So that usually elicits shame, guilt, and depression. And when you take that microdose, it turns it off. It puts a pause on the DMN and it allows your brain to then cut through to the subconscious and new ideas emerge. And this is where, you know, they, they've been using microdoses in Silicon Valley at all the different um, tech, you know, companies, because they're reporting 
that a person is able to increase their creativity Mm. and they're able to access um, different ideas that were not normally accessible because their default mode network was turned on. Um, So it's it's really interesting um, how it's actually taken off in in that type of, um, you know, tech industry, because it's, it's allowed some companies, and I don't know which ones, but it's allowed some companies to kind of get an edge over their competitors, right? They have, they have this, like, this pill that speeds up reflexes that increases visual acuity. So um, the why the reasons why I use it with my clients in therapy is that a person can look at their past experiences and see them through a different lens. And so the filtering system that is negatively impacted after a trauma incident can go back to one of forgiveness. It can return to compassion. It can return to a state of um, understanding. And so a person who feels safe and feels calm and at ease and releases judgment of what has happened can then start giving them that forgiveness, that compassion, that understanding that they normally were feeling so ashamed about. So that's how we incorporate it in the therapeutic setting. Um, I don't do macro dose journeys yet with my clients, um, but there are, you know, tons of, I guess tons is a little bit of a overshot, (laughs) but there are a lot of clinical trials going on right now. And uh, MAPS is one of them. They're a multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies. And they're doing um, larger doses with clients who have severe PTSD, severe anxiety, um, terminal cancer, and coming to terms with their uh, diagnosis. And they're using MDMA, they're using ketamine, they're using psilocybin and LSD. Uh And so, and and, I mean, if anyone's interested in looking this up, there's, um, I think, like a 90 three percent success rate on a person going in qualifying meeting criteria in the dsm-5 for a particular diagnosis coming out of the various different treatments and being closely monitored by a doctor and a psychiatrist and an integrator um, who's typically a, a licensed therapist and then um after their discharge reports not meeting criteria for that same diagnosis which wow. is just Unbelievable. So fantastic. Um, not only is um, microdosing and psychedelics helpful for emotional trauma, but it's it's showing that it's helping with uh, PMS um, cramping. It's helping with um, cluster headaches or ice pick headaches. So just like very, very severe um, migraines. Uh, it's even been reported that it's helped some folks with shingles, which is extremely painful. I actually have had shingles, oh and um, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. Wow. Um, so, it, you know, I understand that I could go on and on about totally. 
the the benefits of this and it it could almost appear like it's this miracle drug that's why i think i start out uh speaking about the importance of needing to follow a protocol and having someone help facilitate and guide you through this because it's not a miracle drug it's not a cure um you need to be doing the work alongside this substance um and you need to do it in reverence you need to have respect you know you were speaking mm -hmm. to like where are you where are people getting it you know yeah. it's becoming very trendy so the sourcing um is so important as you said because it's it's gaining a lot of momentum and I think it's popping up in places that you wouldn't imagine it to be. Um, you know, it's it's kind of being. I, I know that it's being advertised next to, um, not only in cannabis dispensaries but in tobacco shops. There's wow. now like on the counter. Um, have you taken your magic mushroom today? And so it's important to, to ask yourself the first question, why do I want to take a psychedelic compound as a microdose? What am I trying to gain and achieve? And where am I getting it from? And those are the two starting points. What do I want this for? What is the why to the what? Mm. And who can I trust and start working with that would lead me to a response ethical responsible source to acquire um something that is you know not a knockoff or not cut with something and mm -hmm. so i love that you brought that up because that is a very very important part to highlight and you know most importantly i think it's always important for me to really come out as a licensed marriage family therapist and say i don't condone illegal drug use psilocybin right now unfortunately is not legal here in california um when i talk about microdosing or any psychedelic compound for that matter the purpose is purely educational it's just to have an open conversation um to talk about how psychedelics yeah. can be helpful if they were to if they were to become legal, then um, we do know that they have therapeutic benefits. Yeah, thank you so much for kind of putting that out there because I did want to state that, guys, we're not saying go to drugs, like hardly. If you know me, you know I'm like the cleanest of the clean bean. And I have tried many self-experimentation things. But in all reality, this is like an educational mechanism. And First and foremost, you know, Katie is here to help you truly get to your root causes of why you're feeling certain ways, why you're dealing with certain things. Remember the why to the what? Oh my gosh, that was so beautifully said. I love that. And mm. I know we're going to have to have you on again and kind of like touch base and share more because I often at times when I have episodes like with guests like yourself on, I get inundated with questions and comments. And so I know we're going to have to have another episode where I can present those to you. Um, but I do kind of want to wrap it up to respect your time and say thank you again. And where can everyone find you and book a service? Because I know you're really good with the telehealth services. Yeah, thanks so much. Um, so I am at katielarue.com. 
And then I'm also on Instagram. If you want to find me there, I do some motivational posts. And that is at Katie underscore um, LaRue underscore OHC. My private practice is called Optimal Health Counseling. So Katie underscore LaRue underscore OHC and katielarue.com. KB, thank you so much yes. for the opportunity oh to gosh. see you today and chat with you and um, have this opportunity just to share my knowledge with your listeners. It's a passion of mine and I feel so compelled to get um, as much information out there as I possibly can so that people can take one nugget away and go, okay, that sparked something in me. I'm maybe feeling a little bit more inspired and motivated to call a therapist or take that next step and try something new. So thank you. Well, the, I mean, same back in return. We're truly grateful for you. I mean, um, guys, we are a place we can hold a space for you. You know, this is a non-judgmental zone. And in my whole like heart, I just hope that everyone out in the world just becomes um, a little bit more comfortable with being vulnerable with their emotions and not be sorry for the past that they have gone through because we all have pasts. It's just we need to see that shadow in order to like live in that light and live in the joy. So it's about going back to the root cause, right? So thank you again, guys. It has been such an honor. It has been such a pleasure. If you feel that this episode has helped you gain a little more knowledge and um, want to share it with a friend or a family member, we highly encourage that. Head on over to Apple iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast and forward it to a friend, a family member, a neighbor, a significant, I don't know. Just pick an email, right? And please head on over to Apple iTunes and let our voice get heard a little bit louder. Give us a five-star rating and leave us a comment and a review because your voice really matters in getting our voice out there further and further. So until next time, ciao.